this is Keith Jackson as we feature the University of California Golden Bear here in Strawberry Canyon at Berkeley, California. Here's Keith driving, spinning, putting it out and in! My gracious! Here comes Deshaun, shake and bake. Can he beat the second? Dancing off to the right! Look at this guy! The Wizard of Returns! And to the basket, Jalen Brown! With an emphatic exclamation point! Welcome to the Bear Insider Podcast. I'm Jim McGill with Bear Insider and here with New Cal Athletic Director Jim Knowlton. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jim. So you are 10 days on the job now, so you are really new on campus here. Absolutely. How's the experience been so far? Absolutely phenomenal. Really, uh, everybody I've met, everyone I've talked to, welcoming, excited, and uh, the passion for Cal, for Cal Athletics has been off the top, yeah, just over the top, so I'm excited. You had a chance to kind of get your feet wet a little bit before starting since you were announced as a, a hire probably about six weeks or so before you came on mm-hmm. the job. And um, Did you get a chance to get much done in the interim? I know you were planning on talking to some of the coaches and some of the donors. How did that transition period go? You know, it was really good, uh, much to the chagrin of my wife, who I had told her, I'm going to take a couple weeks of vacation. Right. <laughs> uh, but I really, everything I could read, I, I read. And everything I could learn, I learned. And uh, and I talked to donors and called coaches. And in fact, as I was driving across country from Colorado, I got a chance to, to call as many coaches as possible. Uh, unfortunately, the service isn't very good in the mountains of Wyoming. But uh, no, really, I wanted to know as much as I could, meet as many people as I, as I could. And, uh, and I think I, I was able to do some, not as much as I wanted. Okay. And I, I think I heard a little buzz about you touching base with some donors. Did you get a chance to talk to any of them? I did. You know, I really just mostly just reach out and... And just introduce myself, and and so many were very grateful of that, and and, uh, and I'm still trying to do that with meetings and lunches and and uh, different sessions, just to meet as as many folks as I can and learn as much as I can, you know, over these these first 90 days. Okay. Well, uh, with our podcast, we wanted to get a chance to get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. Can you talk about where you grew up? Yep. So I uh, primarily grew up uh, outside of Boston, uh, so a place called Burlington. And, uh, you know, was there for pretty much the whole part of my life until I went off to college. So I guess I call Boston home. Okay. So you went to West Point. I did. Uh, obviously, you were a very strong student to get admitted there. What brought you that direction? You know, I think I probably wouldn't have considered it, but uh, I was recruited for hockey. And, and as soon as I went down on a recruiting visit, I realized, wow this really seems like a phenomenal opportunity. I'd love to, I'd love to be part of this. And so um, hockey sort of helped open the door, but you know, it just, it just was a, a good fit. And being a hockey guy, I assume you're a big Bruins fan. I am. I, I don't want to admit that uh, <laughs> out here, but yes, I, I am a Bruins fan. Okay. So at your experience at West Point, uh, you eventually were named captain there. How was that experience? You sounded like it was a little bit of a surprise to you initially, and maybe uh, you didn't really know what went into it, and you kind of eased your way in. What was it like? Did you like leadership? 
Well, I think the thing that you learn uh, being a captain of your peers, uh, it's hard because you have to use different leadership techniques to, to bring the most out of people who are your friends, people who you played with. And uh, so when I talk about leadership opportunities, that's probably one of the most challenging is how do you lead this group of leaders that are on a team that are also your friends. And so I, it, a lot of things that uh, you do trial and error, you learn, and, and then you sort of say, okay, that didn't work as well as I want. And I think for my whole life, I've been critiquing everything I've done and saying, how can you do it better? What could I have done better? You know, what techniques will I use next time? And, uh, you know, as our department's quicker, and I love to do the after action review, the AAR, after everything we do, just to say, is there better ways to do it? Can we refine it? And so that's kind of how I've looked at everything I've done is, how can I be better? Okay, how would you describe your playing style as a hockey player? That's a good question. Uh, I primarily was a setup guy. Okay. You know, I, I always had uh, the most assists on the team, and and uh, I really was the the one that was sort of the playmaker. Okay, so you were a team player. I was. Okay. Yep. Right. Um, did you play any other sports besides hockey growing up? Growing up, I did. You know, I played a little soccer, played baseball, uh, played a year of football, but uh, hockey slowly consumes you more and more as. Uh, you know, once you get to the, you know, the end of your high school career and then, you know, off to college. Okay. And how did you meet your wife, Corey, and when did you meet her? So she was an Army brat, and uh, I met her after a, a hockey game. Her brother was also at the academy, and so he was in my company, and just by chance we met each other, and and I knew I was going to marry her after our third date. Wow, that's pretty early. Yeah, and it was how quick. Long, how long did it take before you popped the question? Oh, uh, I was I couldn't get married while I was at West Point, so okay. it took another few years. Okay. Yeah. And your experience at West Point as a, an athlete, how did that prepare you for going into your next steps of your career? You you eventually uh, went into the military with with the Army, right? Yes, I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like your experience as a as a cadet and as a, a student athlete prepared you for your your military career? You know, it's a good question, and I think it's what I see with student athletes. You know, as an athletic director for the last 10 plus years, it's uh, you learn a lot about how do you juggle a lot of things. And really, you're constantly trying to multitask and triage what has to be done, what can I wait, how do I prioritize. Um, and I think that's, that's an important part. I think also you learn to be a competitor. And, you know, for me, I love to compete. And, and so being a student athlete allowed me to be a competitor uh, on the fields of friendly strife and then also... Um, balance that with, you know, doing well in the classroom. And so I think those life lessons that all of our student athletes learn, and really all of our students at Cal learn, because there's lots of competing um, challenges, as we talked about before the interview started. And I think the ability to prioritize, the ability to to really triage what has to be done, really sets you up for success for life. And for me, uh, being in a leadership environment was even you know, sort of a, an accelerant, I would say, just because um, you're expected to lead. You learn to follow first, and then you learn to lead. So you eventually rose to the rank of colonel, and you did some time overseas with your battalion, right? I did. So, you know, it was a, it was a uh, interesting career where I got to really see the world. And, uh, you know, I was on the Czech border during the Cold War and stood on the Berlin Wall the night it fell in, uh, in 1989. What was that experience like? Uh, it was surreal. It really was surreal. And, uh, you know, I hadn't gotten home that night till about 11 and had dinner. Uh, and I just said, I can't go to bed. This is historic. And 
So I went down and climbed up on the wall in front of the Brandenburg Gate, and uh, it was just pandemonium. People experiencing freedom for the first time in their lifetime. It was it was amazing. I had a chance to visit the Checkpoint Charlie last year and the Brandenburg Gate. It was it was really interesting being there. Did you have a chance to take a whack at it? Uh, you know what I actually when did. Nobody was looking. <laughs> uh, I I shipped pieces of the wall to every one of nice. my friends who had served, you know, overseas with me, and uh, you know they paid it back over the years as I'd get pieces of Saddam's palace or get pieces of something else, and they'd say, "I remember when you sent me a piece of the Berlin Wall." So yeah, yeah I did. I took a little bit. Uh, probably still have a little bit in my basement. Okay, and you went back and got your your master's at Cornell. Uh, I did. Was it both civil engineering and uh, uh, mechanical engineering? Well, I had been a mechanical engineer in undergrad, and then okay. I was a civil engineer, and then ended up teaching civil engineering at West Point okay. for a couple of years. So, primarily, soils, foundations, uh, and concrete were you know were the areas that I focused on. Okay, and then you went into athletic administration at West Point, right? I did. What did you do in your capacity there? So I went there as the chief of staff of the athletic department, and then within a year, the athletic director left, and I became the interim athletic director. So I did that, and then we brought on a new AD, and uh, I served as his deputy for a while, and, uh, and then I retired from the military and uh, became the athletic director at a place called Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And can you talk about your experience at RPI? You were the athletic director there, so you had a little bit worked in a little bit different capacity. Mm -hmm. um, how did the role differ for you, and what was your experience like there? Well, I think the big thing I uh, you know was a great opportunity for me to learn. And when you're at a, a smaller, multi-divisional school, you don't have the robust staff uh, that you know many of the Division One schools have. So you have to be the jack of all trades. So you could be um, you know working on a sponsorship one day and and lining the baseball field the next day, just whatever it needed, whatever it took. And, and so you really learn the entire business of athletics. You're only one deep in compliance. You're only one deep in marketing and promotions. And so um, I think it was a great education over seven years to learn athletics at its grassroots. Now, you learned what it was like to raise funds there and mm -hmm. for some, some development projects you had. Um, what was that experience like? Was it pretty successful well we had we had phenomenal success both in the annual fund and major gifts and we built a, a hundred million dollar athletic facility while I was there and uh, you know it was a transformational facility basketball arena football arena and been um, in really locker room so um, a huge part of that was the fundraising piece and I had never fundraised before and so I went to conventions, I went to classes, I read books because I wanted to be able to to really do a good job with the fundraising piece and I think that part of my education really accelerated while I was at uh, while I was at RPI. Sounds like it. How did the student athletes and the student body and, and the fan base respond to the, the new facilities? They loved it. Yeah it was uh, it was transformational. People had you know we had been working in a, an area that was substandard and now all of a sudden we had a shiny new penny and it was phenomenal. It generated interest. It generated alumni support. It 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 really fired people up and got them excited about RPI athletics. Where is the RPI campus located? It's uh, just outside of Albany, New okay. York. All right. So reasonably decent fan base to be able to draw from. It was, and we had different sports that drew better or worse. But they have a hockey program that's won a national championship, uh, actually two. And so they had a die-hard fan base that came to Houston Fieldhouse uh, for hockey. And so 
Uh, in football, we had the same. We had a really good, solid fan base that uh, that came out and supported the team. Okay. Then you moved on to the Air Force Academy. What was that like transitioning from one branch of the military to the other? Well, it was interesting. When I interviewed for the job, I felt that I could be a great AD at the Air Force Academy if they could get past the fact that I went to West Point. Yeah. And, uh, and they did. And I feel like uh, they were very accepting. And, and I think the experience I brought, having been a student athlete at an academy, I was a grad assistant at the academy. I taught civil engineering at academy and then you know ran the department for a little bit. Gave me a good perspective to help um, you know grow the business at the Air Force Academy. And so uh, you know we had the most three most successful years they've had in their history from an athletic and fundraising and uh, academic perspective. And and we had a good time doing it. What were some of those highlights uh, athletically and and from the fundraising department? Well, we, we've really jumped in the Learfield Directors' Cup. You know, I think our highest had been maybe 78 or, or 80, and uh, we broke the top 50 for different points in time in the, in the season and ended up at 55 one year and 67 another year. So all of the boats really rose, you know, all of our sports, and we had 29 different sports. And so I really felt like we really had coaches and student-athletes that uh, – just continued to excel and get better, and uh, you know the, the proof was in the pudding. So, uh, and we did that while they still maintained great grades, and you know, 21 credit hours each semester is a lot of credit hours. Sure and, is. And uh, you know, I also was responsible for all the PE courses, so I had about 60 or 65 PE instructors that taught 10 courses to 4,000 cadets over their four-year career, whether it was boxing or survival swimming or combatives, and so to blend that whole department so we felt like one team was a key part of um, what we were able to accomplish during those three years. You had intramurals too, right? We had intramurals as well. Did you ever sleep? Uh, not much. <laughs> no, not much. Boy. No. And again, you want to be there for everyone and, you know, 29 sports and, and all the P and, you know, it's easy to focus on a sport or this or that. And you really want to make sure that, um, just like my five kids, that you spread the love and, and make sure that uh, everyone feels a valued part of the team. You ever so. feel like trying to replicate yourself? Maybe that would, uh, that would well, help out a little bit. Well, my first talk to our our staff was, help me be in two places yeah. at once. And so, right. uh, you know, I this week I was able to talk to our, our women's crew team before they competed, and they just put the cell phone in the middle of a team meeting, and I got to talk to everybody, nice. and then... Then after they won the championship, we were able to do that again after they won, and I could congratulate them. That must have been a lot of fun, right, your first week on the job. What do you do for an encore yeah. after that? Yeah. You win a national championship in your first week. It's, yeah. uh, it's pretty special. What were some of the cultural differences between the Army and the, the Air Force in your experience? Or was it very similar? You know, this, uh, I, I would say there's similarities and differences. I mean, I, I think, you know, service, you know, is, this, is, is really central to both. And I think the mission's different. You know, the Air Force is focused on uh, air and space, and the Army's more on the ground. And so that's it's a different it's a different form of leadership, type of leadership. Um, of course, I have a son that's a freshman now at the Air Force Academy, so I'm ribbing him all the time yeah. about the differences. But uh, but you know, at the at its most basic, it's it's leadership, it's it's um, management, and it's organizational management. And so uh, that's what we're trying to teach all of those young men and women as they go through the, you know, the academy. Did anybody give you any good jabs that, that stuck with you, or did they keep hands off since you were the AD? Daily. <laughs> Daily. Yeah. No, they were really good. I think 
probably the time I would get jabs was when they would introduce me at big alumni events. And as they go around the room and say, this general's the class of whatever, and and then they talk about the community college on the Hudson or something, something, <laughs> you know, a little humorous was yeah. good. But it was always in good fun. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned the five sons. Um, what are their ages and names? So Jimmy's our oldest, 34, Patrick, 32, uh, Chris is 29, Mark is 24, and Sean is 21. With those names, you have to be Irish. Uh, English. English, yep. okay. Yep. All right. So, And uh, is there sort of a leader of the pack in the, the boys? Would it be by age or? You know what? I think they're all leaders. You know, they've all been captains of their teams. They're all elite hockey players, so okay. they all have been captains of their teams. And... Uh, but I would say our oldest Jimmy is sort of the leader of the leaders, and yeah. and uh, you know everyone looks up to him, and and uh, you know and he he takes that mantle and wears it pretty good, and and uh, represents very well. Have they had the chance to come out to the Bay Area too? They have not, but they are absolutely itching. So yeah. uh, Corey and I came out. My wife is Corey, and we came out, and uh, she's back there now getting the house ready. And so um, yeah, they're all looking as soon as we get settled and and find a place that they'll be here right on the heels of that, I'm sure. And uh, what are her thoughts on the Bay Area? She's excited. You know, we, we happened as we drove from Colorado, it's a two-day drive, and we just happened to run out of gas as we pulled into Napa. So we had to we had to stay in Napa the first the first night. There are worse places to run Yeah, out exactly. Of gas. Yeah. And we really didn't run out of gas, but uh, that was a good Can't place close. to stop. And, and uh, it had been on her bucket list for years and years and years, and so... You know, I told her, I mean, how great a guy am I? You know, I take a job out there so you can fulfill your bucket list over and over and over. Yeah. And I, I honestly don't think I got the credit I deserved on that one. So. <laughs> you got some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. got more experiences. Yeah. Um, so did you envision having a big family from the, the beginning? Were you both thinking along those lines, or did your thinking change during the process? I, I have a brother, you know, so family of two. She came from a family of five, and I think um, I think we compromised with what she wanted. Okay. <laughs> has, it been a, has it been a fun ride for you? It's been unreal. Yeah, wouldn't change it for the world, and uh, uh, they're they're great kids, and uh, we've learned a lot of life lessons together as you go on this journey of moving 15 times yeah. with five kids, and you know some of them went to two or three different high schools, and so it's those are tough, but I feel like I could drop them on a deserted island and they'd have friends pretty pretty quickly so it, it shaped their, their people skills quite yep, a bit. absolutely yep. you can either drop, go into a shell or you can decide I'm gonna step out of my comfort zone and meet people quickly and I think that many of the their experiences were through activities you know yeah. that's how you really meet you know in their case it was through athletics but you know the activities helped them accelerate their ability to meet people and, and become part of the next community pretty quickly. Yeah, it's funny, I had one sibling too, it was me and a sister, and it was kind of boring, honestly. I always thought it would be fun to have at least three. Mm -hmm. My wife was always scared of childbirth, so she said one. One, yeah. So our daughter was born nine weeks early, and it, the delivery was so easy with a four-pound baby. She's like, let's have five. That's <laughs> <laughs> so easy now. Yeah, 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 yeah. When we had a boy and a girl, people were saying, well, why do you want to have a third? Do you have a matching yeah, set? Perfect, yeah, perfect. No, the, the third was the straw that stirred the drink, and it's perfect having that extra addition. That's great. But was, was the third a boy or a girl? It was a boy. It was a boy. Yeah, so my, uh, my boys are 16 and 18, and my daughter's 20. She's in College of Cal Poly now. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So now you're on campus for, for 10 days or so, and you're on your listening tour, meeting with a lot of people and hearing a lot of input, I'm sure. 
uh, one of your biggest meetings was the the day that you headed down to LA for the the uh, the huddle with with a lot of donors and fans. What was that meeting like? I th- you talked to a very large number of people that mm-hmm. day. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, first of all, um, it was amazing how many people showed up, how passionate they were, and uh, what did you estimate the numbers to be again? I think we did two nights down there, and both nights were 100-plus people. Oh, so you're talking those meetings. Um, how about the meeting with the coaches and admins here before? Oh, oh the first one. Yeah, yeah, the sort of the welcome. Yeah. It was it was fantastic. And, you know, I, I had just said, hey, come between 9 and 10.30, and we'll have bagels. And, and at 9 o'clock, we had the whole department there. It was fabulous. And so I got a chance to talk to the whole department. I had envisioned just mingling and talking to small groups, but we had 250 people, wow. you know, and so it was fabulous to get a chance to talk to everybody and and uh, and just let them know how excited I was to be here and how how much I wanted to listen to what they had to say and you know I am doing this listening days with the department and I sent it out about a month before and you know kind of a ten slide PowerPoint to fill in and um, and I've I've heard that everyone's been meeting and talking and. And I did my first one, and the group said, this was great for us because before you ever got here, we've had multiple meetings to talk about us and and reflect what are we good at, what do we need to work on to be better, and what are some of the opportunities, and you know, what are the big picture opportunities. So that's really the value of what we're doing. And I spent an hour and 15 minutes with each group, 30 sports, and then you know all of our business units to really understand where are we right now to develop my priority list and uh, and so I got to talk about that and one of the questions I had heard either at that event or before was okay Jim is this listening days really just a meet and greet and I said yes for the first 30 seconds of your 75 minutes we'll meet and greet and then if we don't roll up our sleeves together and get down to business then we're missing a great opportunity and so I think that that was a good message for everyone to hear that this is really an opportunity. I'm going to spend 90 days of absolute time-consuming meetings, but I need to be able to know what I need to know to make some hard decisions. So uh, so it's been very good so far. Do you feel like most of them have come pretty prepared with a lot of interesting takeaways for you? Absolutely. I mean, really, it has been, for me, in our, and I've probably had four or five done already, I'm able to distill when I leave there, here are the three, four, or five things um, that we need from good to great. Sometimes it's resources, sometimes it's time, sometimes it's facilities, sometimes it's equipment, but I'm able to really get a sense of what is it that this particular sport or business unit needs to be exceptional. And my mantra has been, we are gonna be exceptional in all we do, and so how do we get there? Okay. So from your initial conversations with Chancellor Christ and from what you've learned, do you feel like the transition in Title IX from where we are right now to prong one is relatively feasible without having to do a lot or any program cuts just from roster management and um, different, different techniques in getting there? Well, first of all, let me just say that I think it was really courageous of Chancellor Chris to even say we're going to do this because um, going to prong one is really what Title IX envisioned when um, uh, when it was when it was designed. It was really 
you know, proportionality, you know, you provide, you know, the opportunity based on the proportion of students you had that it were either male or female. And so, um, yeah, it's a tough decision to make. It's, um, it presents a challenge here with 52% of our student body being female and uh, we're not there in percentages for the intercollegiate opportunities yet. And so um, for me to tell you, yes, it's gonna be easy would uh, be disingenuous, it's gonna be hard. And it's gonna have to be creative, it's gonna have to look at you know, our entire athletic program. But uh, as, as everyone has seen in the paper, uh, Chancellor Chris said, uh, you know, cuts are the last resort. We are not looking at cutting sports. And so that's how I'm approaching this challenge. And now it's really what do we do um, because we want to make sure every one of our student athletes has a great experience. We want all our programs to be competitive and, and be able to win the right way and to win championships. And so ba balancing all that, it's this rubrics cube that um, everything you do has a second and third order effect. And so I'm still learning and I think after 90 days of really getting a handle on everybody's you know, roster sizes and everybody, you know, where we are and what the facilities look like and, and what are the biggest challenges, I think it'll be easier for me to sort of tell you or tell the world, this is how I think we can do this and, and how long it's going to take. And obviously one of the biggest challenges every athletic program deals with is football has 85 scholarships and probably need a minimum of 20 to 30 walk-ons to be able to, to supplement because of injuries with it being uh, more of a violent sport. So right off the bat, you're handicapped with 110, 115, 120 um, roster spots that you've got to match somewhere else because there's no, nothing comparable for women's athletics at all. No, no rosters are anywhere near that big. So obviously, you know, you have your work cut out for you, but it sounds like a lot of the coaches are uh, interested in playing ball with pairing roster sizes and trying to work towards ways of making the transition. So uh, I'm sure that that'll help the process too. I think it's going to be a team effort. We're all going to have to look at this challenge. Jim Knowlton's not going to come in here and solve the problem just because he's, he's figured it out. It's going to really be a team effort. And that's why this listening days with, you know, encompassing the entire department will allow us to, to find solutions that uh, make sense that we can support financially and, uh, and then meet the intent of Title IX Prong 1. And that's yeah. really what the goal is. And uh, another one of the challenges you have is um, fundraising. Mm -hmm. And um, we've had some experiences lately where some of our bigger donors have, have pulled back some. And uh, bringing them back into the fold is obviously one of your challenges. Um, raising a new base of donors, lowering the, the age a little bit. We've got some really, really generous donors, uh, 10 million plus, but they tend to, to be... Um, you know, older donors that aren't going to be around forever. Um, what are your thoughts on cultivating a, a younger donor base? Because there's a lot of high-powered people out in the business world that have, have graduated from Cal. Sure, and I, I think you just answered the answered the question. We really have to be out there engaging our alums, engaging our supporters, um, engaging the folks that are in Silicon Valley, talking about where we're going. Be transparent so that people understand wow, now I understand what athletics are trying to do. This is where they're trying to go. This is how our support is going to help both the program, you know, University of California, Berkeley, and, uh, and our athletic department. And I think if we can go out and tell that story, uh, people are going to be excited about getting on the bandwagon with us and, and going on this journey together. And I think if we can do that, 
um, we'll be able to support our young men and women, you know, in a first-class manner, which is exactly what, what I would think Cal expects. It's exactly what this institution represents when we talk excellence in all we do. And how has your experience been one-on-one -on -one with engaging the donor base with those you've touched base with so far? Fabulous. I mean, again, the thing that I always kind of chuckle is you can't teach passion, and our donors are passionate about Cal. I mean, it's just there's just no doubt they are passionate about Cal. And really, most of our alums who are donors to athletics are also donors to other parts of the campus, too. And, and it's fascinating to hear their stories about I give to athletics because I started going to football games when I was a freshman. But I also was a physics major, and so I give to this particular school or I endow this particular scholarship. And so um, it's neat that it's not I have to either do this or this. It's neat that they can be part of the campus in many different aspects and support uh, you know, students and student athletes uh, across campus. One of the interesting challenges you have also is there has been some level of hostility traditionally with faculty and athletics. And Chancellor Chris seems to be doing an excellent job of sort of bridging that divide and helping many get on the same page and understanding that we're, we're working together here, we're important to each other. One can't function at full capability without the other. You're in a unique position to help facilitate a stronger relationship too, having been a, a professor at a high-level institution yourself. Um, have you gotten a good reception from faculty that you've had a chance to meet with? I, you know what, I've only met a few. Uh, this morning I met with our faculty athletic rep, Bob Jacobson, phenomenal, and he, um, we sort of charted the way of how do I balance all the things I'm trying to do? I want to meet with alums and donors. I want to meet with our student athletes. I want to be able to meet with our coaches and our staff. But I told him I also want to meet with staff and faculty. I want to be able to go to you know, the faculty club and, and be able to talk to whoever's there. And so um, that has to be done deliberately. I have to go out of my way uh, to at least open those conversations. And, and uh, he's going to help me do that, which I really appreciate. Have you had a, any conversations with Chancellor, Chancellor Post to get a feel for her perception about sort of uh, mending those fences and building new bridges? You know, we haven't really talked about that, but I think there's anybody who's watching what, what's going on here at Cal knows that she has incredible street cred with everybody here on the campus, Absolutely. you know, the faculty and staff and athletics, and, and she's got some great experience here. She's been here. She's one of us. And... And uh, I think that she has a lot of respect. And if you sit in a room with her and watch her make decisions and facilitate discussions, you immediately know why. And so I'm here in large part because of her. I really, I really like the way she leads. So you had a chance to get out, like we talked about earlier, with the, the donor base in LA and in, in Orange County. What was the experience like in, in each of those, those it, events? Reception was incredible. It was Justin. Wilcox, our head football coach, and I, and, uh, you know, I, I talked a little, and as you can imagine, everyone wants to hear about our football team, so so uh, uh, Justin just does a great job talking about who we are, what we want to be, and where we're going, and um, I think the thing that I really, really enjoyed hearing from him is he wants to win the right way. He wants to win with student-athletes, and the student is capitalized, and so that's really important and that's what we should expect here at Cal and so uh, yeah no the reception was wonderful and 
uh, and I've had a lot of dialogues with folks back and forth over email, you know, since then. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, they're, they're ready to get on board and, and uh, ready to help. And a lot of them asked, how can I help? And I said, I need 90 days. I'll come back and talk to you after that to figure out how we can, you know, where we can put limited resources to have the biggest impact. I know you got an earful from alums about uh, Stanford and the big game. Um, do you have a sense for how deep that rivalry is and, and how do you envision it comparing Army-Navy's rivalry? Yeah, I, I, uh, they're absolutely both uh, deep-rooted and, um, and emotional, you know, and so, yeah, no, it's exciting. Every, one of the first questions I had when I was down in Southern California was, look at me. See how old I am? Am I ever gonna go back to a? But we ever go back to the Rose Bowl? I was sitting next uh, to that guy. We, uh, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I think I actually deferred to Justin on that yeah. one. Uh, that was a cop out on my part, but uh, he was right beside me. But yeah, I think that's what we all want. I think I think we all want that, and I think um, I think Justin's doing a great job, and I'm really excited about this season, and I'm excited about what we're doing, and. And uh, what I've told our staff is we have to be ready for this success. We have to make these games fun. We've got to make the fan experience fun. And, uh, and we've got to get our students here. I'm meeting with the Interfraternity Council um, president next week. I want to talk to him. What can we do to make a football game enjoyable for, um, for the fraternities, the sororities, for our students? And, um, and we, we get some work to do. We're gonna, and we're going to work hard to got about three or four months now to get it done, and, and uh, we want people to want to come. So attendance rose in your, your time at, at the Air Force Academy. What were some of the dynamics behind that? Obviously, success on the field will always play a role, but mm -hmm. what got the student body engaged and out there? Well, the nice thing about the Air Force Academy is it's mandatory attendance for all students. So, so that makes it fan base that makes it easy to get the students sure. there. But the fan base, you know what we did? We did a lot of different things. I mean, really, not one thing can you put your finger on and say, this is it. And as I told my staff many times, it's easy to lose fans, and it's a lot harder to bring them back. And, uh, you know, we did everything from concerts in the stadium to bring people to the stadium that had never been to the stadium before. And then they came back because they said, okay, I didn't realize it was this easy to get to the stadium or this is how to get to the stadium. And we did, we did a tiny house jamboree in the stadium, you know, from HGTV. And 50,000 people That's came. It was phenomenal. And we, they sold every single one of their tiny houses. Oh, nice. They loved it. And now they're coming back again this summer. And so uh, I think you just have to be creative. You have to understand the fan base. You have to understand the alums. And you have to figure out what is it because we're competing with a lot of pro teams, we're competing with some of the most beautiful country, uh, some of the most beautiful you know areas in the country. We're competing with just the cell phone gaming, and how do you get people to want to come out and see our student athletes compete for Cal? And uh, the same thing doesn't work for everybody, so you really have to be able to cast a wide net, and I think that's what we're going to be working on this summer. So you mean mandatory attendance for the student body at Cal might not fly? I do not think so. So please get that on the record, that that is not one of the, the new athletic director's thoughts. So they're, they're in a prime position to have an impact on games being... Um, on the 50-yard line, I think the 35 to the 35, and mm -hmm. mid-court at basketball games. What are your thoughts on on uh, how 
the student body can can impact the performance of players and the the atmosphere at a, at a stadium or arena. It's incredible, and when you talk about a home field or home court advantage, normally that's tied into what are your students like at those events. And if the students are excited and passionate, uh, it is a home field or court advantage. And so uh, we have to facilitate that. We have to help that. And uh, and I think I think we've probably done great things in the past, and we just got to continue to to raise the bar um, so that we can we can really get people excited about coming. Well, if you end up um, overseeing a few big game wins and a Rose Bowl in the next five or ten years, I can pretty confidently say there'll probably be people wanting to build you a statue out here. So <laughs> hopefully, we'll be seeing that happen. Yeah, let's save the statue. I just want them to come out and support. That would be the best thing that they could do. Uh, you know, for our, our programs and our student-athletes. Well, we really appreciate the, you taking the time to talk with us. You're a very busy guy, and uh, much uh, wishes for success in your, your upcoming endeavors and in, in getting all these challenges in line coming up in the following months and years to come. Well, Jim, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming out and, and seeing us, and um, come back in 90 days, and we'll talk about some of the plans. You got a Go Bears for us? Go Bears!